sometimes a little more. My bloody podcast. <laughs> Hello, everyone, or as I like to say and get made of made fun of for my bloodhounds and creepy peeps. Welcome to the 21st episode of My Bloody Podcast. The podcast is completely dedicated to everything going on in entertainment that's horror-related. So this is the 21st episode. We're old enough to drink now. Perhaps we should start doing this during our episodes. Oh, I am down to do like a drinking game during our episodes. Like you can't say the word horror or movie. (laughs) If you do, you have to take a shot. (laughs) Yes. Oh, that would be super fun. Yeah. I have my orange Powerade over here. I'll be taking shots of that. Oh, good. Powerade always gets you high. <laughs> yep. Anyway, I am uh, Preston Barta, your sexy sax man entertainment for the evening. And I am joined, as always, by Best Villain Award winner, Brian Mushuga Kluger. <laughs> He's not lying, folks. I'm a, an acting award <laughs> winner for Best Villain, who beat out Chuck Zito in, for an award at a film festival, interestingly enough. And thank you. I will live up to this title for many years to come, being Best Villain. <laughs> thank you, Preston. It's always good to talk with you. Yes. It's going to be attached to your name like MD or Doctor. <laughs> All right, and uh, we are joined by our favorite guest, whose brains are undoubtedly scrambled eggs from all the movies he's been seeing lately, but it's uh, Mr. James Cole Clay, a.k.a. Fruit Burger. That is not a gay slur. That is a reference to my demon lover. How are you, sir? I, I am doing well. My brains are scrambled. I've eaten them, and they're back up, and I've run out of analogies for... I've pretty much just been living on Tim Hortons in Canada, so my brain is fried. How is Tim Hortons? Uh, have you ever... Have you heard of Tim Hortons? It's like the McDonald's of Canada, and they're obsessed with it there. Oh, it yes. Like they put no- it's a national treasure they put for nacho- Canada. They put nacho cheese in their breakfast sandwiches. <laughs> I'm in. Yeah, I ate there a few times. Awesome. Well, gentlemen and the folks listening, we have a packed episode. We unfortunately had to cut our horrific news section down, but we have some exciting and bloody stuff in the canon. We will be discussing Cole's adventures at the Toronto International Film Festival, including his thoughts on the new Halloween film directed by David Gordon Green. And the latest and final wave of Fantastic Fest, which is a horror or genre film festival that we go to every year in September. We're very excited about that. As well as our quick thoughts on The Predator, The (laughs) Predator, our bloody recommendations. And we will conclude with an in-depth review of 1988's Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. So, all right, so... Cole, uh, the Toronto International Film Festival, before we get into the films you saw, tell us about the experience overall. Like, what was Canada like? What was the festival like? The theater that you saw all these films in? The crowd? The atmosphere compared to other film festivals that you've been to? Um, So, 
I've never been to Canada before, and going there is really pleasant place to be overall. Uh, Toronto uh, food is kind of disappointing. It's a little scarce. It's kind of bland, kind of like British food. But the people there are really amazing, really friendly, uh, very excited about films, it seems like. And, you know, mainly because I was just around the film festival. But they, it, it was just an overall pleasant place. Everybody's really polite and nice. It is what you hear. And um, I loved it. I cannot wait to go back again and experience it and just be there. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's like uh, people say it's like a New York kind of thing. But um, pretty much while I was there, I didn't really explore the city. I stayed insular into the theaters that we were at. And most of them, some of them were kind of like big gala theaters. Um, that's what we'll have premieres and whatnot. And they're really cool. Um, if anybody, you know, this is a little inside baseball, but at South by Southwest, there's this place in Austin, there's this place called the Paramount Theater, and that's where they have every big screening that you're going to go to. And it's a big, nice 1100-seat theater. And so you'll see some of these come through and Lady Gaga and whatnot all come through. So mainly it's like a platform for international film. It is truly international there. Um, it is really spectacular to talk to people. Um, you get this at Fantastic Fest. Uh, you have to mine a little bit for it, but if you if you're into going out and talking to people, but at Toronto, it seemed uh, really organic that you'd have a conversation with. I made the friends with this film critic from Denmark, and I talked to him about a lot of the programming at Fantastic Fest that we do see there. Because um, you know the great thing about Fantastic Fest, aside from getting a um, U.S. premiere of Halloween, whoop whoop, which is freaking awesome. Um, they have these amazing films from all over the world. And for my sensibilities, I really like Eastern, Eastern European, Scandinavian films. And this guy had a, a really big insight into uh, festival favorites, such as like Ruben Olsland, uh, who did The Square and Force Majeure. And so, you know, you get a real feel for how these people react to films. Uh, something, you know, like, you know, this isn't a horror, but A Star is Born. And his... Um, Aspect, or his uh, viewpoint on how that is just like a super American film. So you get some cool perspectives, and I really feel like aside from seeing all these great movies, you can get a more feel for the context of what's going on um, in the film world at large. So it's amazing, and the, the theater that I will say is the best, and if you ever go to Toronto, the theater nerds out there, one of my favorite things to do in the world is to go to different movie theaters um, around the country and around Texas. Texas has some great stuff in Dallas, and especially Dallas. Um, so they have this theater there that's a ma major megaplex, and it's hands down. There are about 500-seat auditoriums, and that's where all these uh, industry screenings are. So you'll have these people from all around the industry uh, crowding into these theaters, and they're massive press screenings. Of, and the sound is the best sound I've ever heard in my life, hands down, best seating, um, most comfortable. Um, it was, uh, for a megaplex at least, uh, best sound. Um, and I was, you know, being comfy in a seat's a big deal. There's nothing worse than a sore ass cheek halfway through a uh, Michael Myers kill, you know, like that's not fun. Preach um, it. So, but, um, because, but in this one, you will be not to spoil anything, but you will be leaning forward in your seat. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a cool movie, but, um, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, there was a lot of things at TIFF that are at Fantastic Fest. And of course, you know, that's such a central focus to us three and like our bond is, is in how we bonded, you know? And so it's important to us to like, talk about these movies for people who always talk about this festival. It's an easily accessible festival um, for fans and uh, writers alike, you know. Um, if you're listening and you're a horror fan, it's worth the trip to take some friends down or take your significant other down or whoever to go see a few films. You can get into these movies, you know. I'm pretty sure it, there's a bit of a premium on the price, but 
Um, mm-hmm. You can go, and same goes for Toronto. People um, will go. So that the Halloween premiere, um, and then I'll go into the Fantastic Fest stuff that um, I saw Toronto and as well as some holdovers. So <laughs> um, there's going to be no spoilers, of course. Um, I, I hope did a review on Fresh Fiction. Well, come on, you know who who do you think I am, and <laughs> what kind of monster would I be? Um, it was at this theater, and Jamie Lee Curtis was there. Uh, director David Gordon Green, Danny McBride, uh, Jason Blum was there. Uh, Judy Greer, they're all in the film and had to do with it. And, um, you know, they unveiled the film and the crowd was insane. People were on the side and the ticket line. I had my ticket there um, offering like lots of money <laughs> to people <laughs> for the tickets outside of the theater. And um, getting in, um, it was packed house. I had an amazing seat uh, on the balcony. And the lights go down, and they say, okay, we're going to start the film. And, <laughs> and so, so, mind you, they filled up these two theaters to see Halloween with about five to 6,000 people. So it's in two theaters, about that many people watching the wow. film. Wow. Uh, yes. And so it's a big fucking deal. <laughs> I don't know if we're PG-13 here, but it's a big we're, deal. We're are. <laughs> okay. Okay, good. And so um, Michael Myers comes out. You think the film's going to start, and a guy, as Michael Myers comes out, and all the lights, it's just pitch dark for a while. You just see this shape. You see the shape come out. And um, then John Carpenter's score comes in, and the crowd just goes crazy. And you're just like, holy fucking shit. Um, (laughs) This is so fucking awesome. And, uh, you know, and so they're – the people that made this movie are really gracious to it and really precious with it. Um, most importantly, I think everybody kind of knew that going in, given uh, David Gordon Green's reception and um, how Jason Blum um, handles horror material. Um, you know, I, I really encourage people to go check in. There's going to be some great documentaries at some point about how this movie got made, and they talk a little bit about that. So go into that. Um, the movie um, finds a really great visual look. Uh, it's sharp. There's some things in it that work really well. There is a couple things that don't work at all, like at all. But you're going to get references uh, to the to the old films, but you're also going to get a new original story. Um, you know, not to go into Halloween 4 too much, but um, this one, that movie has some amazing kills, some really cool kills that we're going to get into. But Michael Myers is so brutal in this movie. Um, you're going to love it so much and it shot um so well and the movie moves fast and jamie lee is in it and she's really doing well um finding a really good balanced performance that um is a bit campy but also um is taken seriously um but and you know the, the teenagers are really well you're going to notice some people from blockers from earlier this year that are in the movie uh, playing some teens. Um, the story has some horror tropes that you're going to, um, you know, appreciate maybe with some irony, maybe with reverence. I don't know. Depends on how you want to view the movie. Um, it certainly um, is a really interesting time for films. You know, you think about these movies getting made, and this really is up there with the high-profile stuff that we've seen. I mean, you can't compare it to Star Wars, but you know, the way that that movie executed The Force Awakens. Um, this one isn't necessarily that at all, um, but because it is its own story. But it's um, you know you're gonna like it. You know you, you may it, it's not it's not a home run, but 
I mean, come on, have, have some damn fun with it and enjoy the moment of this uh, being such a big deal. And the fact that, you know, these horror sequels that were a dime a dozen, that this one actually has a lot of care put into it. And it's, um, they, did, they did a good job with it. You know? I and cannot I, I can't wait, wait to, to share see it. it. I can't wait to share it next are you a gonna, week from today. Are you going to watch it with us again? Yeah, of course. Of course. I mean, how can I do? Those are these are memories, everybody. These are lifetime memories. You oh gotta you gotta take it while they're getting good. You know. Hey, I wanted to ask. So you said that this is the most brutal that we've seen Michael Myers be. So do a problem that I've always had with the franchise as a whole is that they I, I like to say they off scene people to death a lot. Yes. Yes. So they don't do that as much here. No, 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 not at all. Um, so I, I, I'm excited to see it again, to look at it, to look at that as well. But uh, from my memories of it, the kills that I remember and the people who, who die, <laughs> I'm just thinking of one in particular. That it's just like, I'm just laughing so hard. It's so fucking amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, it's vicious, man. His, his force is used really well. It's not like we talked about in Freddy vs. Jason a few weeks ago where Jason just hits somebody with his fist and they go flying into a tree. Um, Michael Myers right. is powerful, but it's, um, you, you understand his power, but it's, he's not Superman. It's not a super, you know, it's just not like a superhero thing. I don't, I don't know. And so you're, it just feels grounded in a way that it's heightened. Um, but you can grasp it in, you know, the context of reality, you know, and, and that's what I think this movie wants you to do. It wants you to have fun with it, but also be scared, you know, and you can be if you, if you give yourself over to it and enjoy it. And, and the acting's great. You guys know Will Patton, the character actor, Will Patton, he's in it. I was like, holy shit, there's Will Patton playing the cop, you know, uh, there's stuff like that. Yeah, he's awesome. And I was like, when I saw that, I was like, oh my God, that is amazing. That is such perfect casting. Like, holy shit, this guy. And you, you get nuggets like that. You get performances in this movie. You get memorable characters. You know, I talked about the teenagers, too. Like, they're not just – there's very few memorable teenagers in horror films. And there's actually one – or really two memorable ones in part four that we're going to talk about. But um, but you get good characters, you know, and that's why I brought up the kids from Blockers. There's a stoner kid that was in Blockers who's in um, Halloween as well. And he's very smooth and cool and laid back and – really set you in the mood for the movie. You know, don't forget David Gordon Green directed Pineapple Express. This movie where two people are just hanging out, you know, I mean, it's an action movie, but two people are hanging out. You get, you get some of that. You get some of that really cool stuff in there, really fun banter in there as well. So, you know, you get a little icing on top of this, you know, and, and, and I think that's pretty fantastic. No pun intended, I guess. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm, so glad to hear that Brian and I, I can probably speak for Brian, that both, we're both super excited to see this at opening night at Fantastic Fest. I but, am going to I, have it, shots yeah. with you and eat with y'all during this movie, and I'm, yes. we're gonna all going to hold hands during the movie. I just, I, I can't yes. wait. And yeah, Colt, if you're in Austin, go line up for a damn ticket. I mean, go see yeah. some of these movies, you know? Go go line up. You'll get into movies. You'll see some cool shit. Like, take a chance, and... And it's a good time. Even if you don't get in, feel the vibe out there. It's, it's really cool. It's, it's really cool. Uh, you may get some cigarette smoke, but, um, you know, that's all part of the experience. <laughs> cool, cool. Well, I could sit here and pick apart 
uh, Nas questions and yeah, and we could spoil the shit out of this thing. But I, I'm glad Let's not do it. I'm glad that it's good and that we'll have a good time. But um, yeah, you. So uh, briefly, go through yes. some of the other films that you saw there. Uh, yeah, that stuck out to you and that sort of thing. So most of the stuff that I saw isn't really uh, going to appeal for this podcast. Uh, though I'll, I'll just bring this up. Uh, most of the stuff I saw was really Oscar-worthy stuff, so that's another side of my personality. <laughs> I really get into that whole thing as well. But uh, the things that I saw, um, some fantastic stuff that is going to be there. Um, there's one that I do want everyone to see that's super weird. I'm just going to say it offhand is Vox Lux. I don't really like it that much, but um, you're going you're gonna to want to think about that movie for a long time. As Natalie Portman, she's a pop star. It's very fucking insane and weird and crazy. Um, but the stuff that I saw... That Watch that pop fest. up at Fantastic Fest as since uh, Neon just purchased it. That would be amazing. I would love for that audience to see that movie. I would absolutely love that. And they spent a pretty penny on that movie, so um, they should definitely... It's not like $10 million bucks, I think, on it. Um, they should definitely put that there. But um, yeah. stuff that I saw, there's a big one by uh, Karen Kusama. She did Invitation. I'm pretty sure that was like a special engagement at Fantastic Fest. Jennifer's Body, uh, Girl Fight, these things. So she has Destroyer there, and that's going to be released around Christmas time. And so it has Oscar buzz, but uh, I saw that. I saw this yesterday at TIFF, and there's Nicole Kidman in this, is this like gritty cop uh, in L.A. It kind of adapts or adopts a style from like Michael Mann, but not on the same sweeping scale, something like Heat. Um, but I did not like this movie at all. <laughs> um, uh, so it, it, it just, you know, it, it's a methodically paced movie that has a story behind it other than a, other than just like a crime thing. It's a, a way to how this woman got to be this way uh, through her relationship with her daughter and being an undercover cop and things like that. Sebastian Stan is in it. And, you know, it, it, there's nothing to them. I mean, I, to me, I just could not get on board with her performance. She kind of talks. She's just like this, the whole movie, guys. She's like a 1990s phone sex operator, and it's a very smoky voice. And I don't know. I love Nicole Kidman to death. She's amazing. Um, she's in Boy Race, and I think she'll get an Academy Award nomination for that. But Destroyer... Guys, you know, if you're curious and you feel like you need to see it on your list, Preston, um, I know especially probably you would want to maybe check that off a box um, out of curiosity because you may like it. Uh, Toby Kebbell is in it as well. Um, but <laughs> Scoot McNary is in it. Um, but it, it just, to me, it just did not work at all. Um, it felt too ambitious and maybe should have honed it in more or just made it a straight-up genre film, uh, one of the two. Um, Nicole Kidman. Much like Natalie Portman in Box Lux, performance is a little uh, not quite calibrated and just doesn't really work well. I also saw Donnie Brook. That's this uh, boxing movie starring Frank Grillo and Jamie Bell. Uh, this was, you know, I talked about it a few weeks ago on the podcast, how stoked I was to see it. and um, seemed to be kind of in the vein of Warrior, um, you know, because that's where I met Frank Grillo. Oh, I didn't meet Frank Grillo. That's why I was introduced to Frank Grillo. And uh, he's, he's awesome. He's a formidable Presence on screen. Didn't like this movie at all either. It sucked. Uh, Frank Grillo was fucking ridiculous in it. James Badsdale's in it, which is hilarious to me as well. Um, it does nothing. Um, I, I felt that it was uh, Mark Quayley from, um, people would know from uh, The Leftovers is in it, but then this movie pretty dull as well. 
Um, pretty shallow, pretty hollow. Um, really disappointed in Jamie Bell's performance. Disappointed by Frank Grillo's villainousy. Villainousy is that a word? But um, he's the villain in the movie. Eh, I'd say skip it, Preston and Brian. Uh, but once again, if you're curious, um, I would say you know check it out. But I, I could probably guarantee that you're probably spend your time doing more productive things. Um, Mid '90s, check it out. Uh, Jonah Hill directed it. If you like movies, Preston and I were talking about Skate Kitchen. Haven't seen that one. Uh, it's about Really, I mean, it, the only thing that's mid-90s about it is a CD collection and Ninja Turtle bed sheets and a um, <laughs> no cell phones and a, yeah, a, a Super Nintendo cord. But um, it, it's, a, it's kind of a sweet film, you know. It, it's in the style of kids. And, and my problem with it uh, runs a little deeper. It's maybe a little petty. Um, I still gave this film a really positive review uh, just because I'm a sucker for subject matter uh, such as that, more um, uh, anecdotal movies that kind of talk about uh, a subject as a whole rather than a full-on narrative. But it follows a 12-year-old, 13-year-old kid who's starting to kind of drink and maybe go down the wrong path, but it's not really framed that way. He's more of like a self-discovery sort of film with these skater guys who are about three or four years older. Uh, they talk about sex, doing drugs. I mean, there's a character named Fuck Shit in the movie. So... <laughs> There's a character in fourth grade. Um, so, you know, it, it, you know, Jonah Hill does a good job with it. Uh, some of it kind of rubs me the wrong way, given talking to Preston about this. I don't know if this is a just criticism, but, uh, you know, this is uh, subject mining for, um, you know, more starter filmmakers. And, you know, there's some really ambitious things that could be done with it, like the Florida Project, but that's what Sean Baker has been working on his craft for 10 years. Um, and, you know, just there's just something about it that rubs me the wrong way. As much as I want to uh, give over my love for the, the slacker feel of it, I'm a sucker for that sort of stuff, given that, you know, Linklater is one of our favorite filmmakers. Um, you know, I definitely check this one out at the festival, for damn sure. Yeah, um, well, I'm, I'm really curious because I, I love Skate Kitchen, and uh -huh. I was a huge skateboarder in middle school and high school. And there's not a lot of good skateboarding films out there, at least that are handled in like a realistic kind of approach. And that's why I like Skate Kitchen so much is because it feels like a Richard Linklater film, slacker type, like what you're describing. And yeah. it just treats treats uh, kids that are, you know, on a skateboard like they're real people and not like Gleam in the Cube, which I love, or Grind. And I enjoyed those films, or Lords of Dogtown. Uh, probably Lords of Dogtown is probably the best out of the, all those. Yeah, that was good. But yeah, I'm 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 very curious, and I'm happy to hear that it's uh, somewhat good. <laughs> Did you guys remember the skate movie Airborne from the '90s with oh, Jack yes. Black? Yeah. Yep. Why hasn't that got a a, a, a boutique room? That would be amazing. A but, Criterion uh, collection for that. <laughs> with Jack Black, yeah, it's, it's great. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I got to see some stuff, some previews and stuff that's a fantastic fest, but there's still a lot of really kick-ass stuff. Um, I made a list up today, which was very exciting. I usually don't have the time to do it, but uh, we did it. And uh, there's some things that I'm really stoked to see. How many films did you see Toronto. overall? Uh, I saw 27 movies at Toronto. Holy shit. Yeah, so... I want, I want to ask you real quickly because we've spent a lot of time on this, but uh, one of the other podcasts that I listen to, and you'll probably know which one, Cole, 
from uh, me asking this, but they, they asked a pretty cool question to somebody who has been, who covered TIFF as well this year. And they, they said, because you go to a festival like that, which has so many Oscar caliber films and a lot of the <clears throat> material is kind of the same. They're all like these emotional exercises. Uh, if you see so many films like that, you said 27, do they blend into each other at all? Because, you know, when we go to Fantastic Fest, I try to limit myself a little bit. I know when to kind of take breaks, when I should go right, because there's a lot of deep films there that I need to kind of digest, and I don't want to ruin that because I'm like, oh, you know, kind of like when we go to the 9 o'clock screen and we'll be like, holy shit, that was so good. I don't know if I want to ruin it by right. going seeing it in a midnight film. And so I'm right. curious if if you experience that at all, seeing all 27 films. Excuse me. Well, as for them bleeding in together, for me, um, I'm able to pretty compartmentalize it pretty well. At least I was with this festival. Now, I know it's past Fantastic Fest. If we see something heavy at 8 a.m., like The Killing of a Sacred Deer, which we all did uh, yeah. together. Um, <clears throat> I wrote my review after that, but that was a little difficult. But um, with these, you know, the subject matter is really heavy. Uh, and it's, it, you have to write these difficult reviews quick because you're in competition. Not, I don't know. The way I look at it is I want to get you out fast. And so, you know, you're trying to write these reviews and do that as well. But, uh, um, you know, I, the way I wanted to do it was I wanted to see as much as possible. Now, there were some times where I literally, I literally collapsed one night uh, I was, as I was writing, and I fell asleep for five hours in the middle of the day. And... Uh, there was a couple times where I I skipped. I think I skipped three screenings, so I would have seen thirty, <clears throat> but and one I walked out of completely and went on my phone to write a review. But the way I do it is I'll walk out of a movie and I'll just open my notes phone, my notes app on my phone, and I'll just start writing mm -hmm. um, about what I think about the movie and uh, try to go from there because you're trying to do a tweet and all these other things as well. So I mean, the experience of that to me is. You know, people say, and you'll hear, you know, if you listen to other film podcasts, people who go will say, you know, it's exhausting. But for me, it is. But it's like, for me, it's like being on heroin. <laughs> you know, I've never done heroin, but it's the coolest thing in the world to me. It's like a dream come true going to Fantastic Fest or South by Southwest or Film Festival because you're so caught up in this really special bubble and this really special amount of time. And that's why, you know, just being, that's what I was saying, you know, earlier just wait outside and just be in that. If you love movies, enjoy, even if you don't get in, enjoy the excitement of the possibilities. And, you know, that's what's cool about it. You know, with every movie that you see at Fantastic Fest, because I think the most I've done at Fantastic Fest with you, Preston, uh, was 26 one year, because we do do that where we'll say, well, man, you know, we just finished on um, Raw. It's 930, you know, like, let's call it, man. Like, you know, let, let's, let's, you know, do that. But so... Now that I've started writing on my phone, it's opened things up a lot more, and it's a lot easier. But, um, you know, it, it, it's crazy to think that, to think I'm all, all bleeding together. Um, but for me, they they don't, because that would suck if you movies really crossed. Um, but, you know, it, it's all about just, I don't really know. I guess that's just kind of how my brain works. Um, but, I mean, you know, it's, it, it's, it's really fun. Yeah, awesome. Uh, looking forward to it. I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm glad uh, that you go to festivals that are at least out of state because I now that I have a, a family that I'm trying to uh, 
you know, start here. I got a son now, but we're, we're planning on expanding from here. But I just don't see myself going to a festival like TIFF or Sundance. And so it's nice to kind of live vicariously through you and just. Uh... <laughs> and live vicariously, too. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes. I, well, I mean, I have lots of stories. So, you know, when we get off mic, I can uh, give you lots right. of funny anecdotes and <clears throat> lots of different stories and experiences. Um, I could talk about it for hours. But um I, I forgot. Oh, dang. I lost my train of thought. I was going to say one last thing about it, but um, well, I, we, we, got, got, we got a oh, pretty good sense of yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's it. Um, anyway, we should move on to Fantastic Fest real quick. Yes. Um, it was So we got the final wave of films that came out. And, and holy shit. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the closing night film. This has been revealed as Bad Times at the El Royale. And so so Halloween is opening the festival, which the I should say the festival is starting Thursday, September 20th, and it will be going through the following Thursday on September 27th. And uh, so Bad Times at the El Royale. Do y'all, uh, did y'all like look at the title of the film and just, because I watched uh, Out Cold not too long ago, and so you know, you have that whole El Matador, The Matador. Uh-huh. So the Matador. Bad times at the 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 Royale. But uh, <laughs> anyway, the film is uh, written in th- by Drew Goddard, who is responsible for works such as Cabin in the Woods. Uh, he wrote and directed that one with Joss Whedon. And then he wrote The Martian. He's also responsible for The Good Place, uh, like an executive producer there, and for the Daredevil TV series, as well as Buffy and Angel and things like that. And so we're a pretty big fan of his, I would would say, for all of us. And it also is a film that stars Chris Hemsworth, Jeff Bridges, Dakota Johnson, John Hamm, and Nick Offerman. So it's a pretty... Pretty stellar cast, and it's uh, it's about seven strangers in a rundown hotel that goes to hell over one night. So, are you all excited Tra- about that? Trailer looks so oh. good. Trailer looks so oh, good. Yeah. yeah, that movie looks amazing. Chris Hemsworth all day. Oh, oh come on! Yes, of course. Yeah, that movie is going to be awesome. I don't think I'll be able to see it there unless I get yeah. lucky. But because yeah, I, I I don't think they're going to do like our we're not going to stay the whole festival just because oh. most of the, the good stuff kind of happens in that first weekend. And we tend to kind of, you know, especially you Cole after going to TIFF for so long and then going into this, I imagine it's going to be very exhausting for you, but it's going to be, you're going to have that extra energy because you know, you'll be hanging out with us. Of course. Um, yeah. I plan on seeing like 20 or so, hopefully. Yeah. So there's a small possibility that they might do a press screening beforehand, but I don't think that'll happen. I, I don't. I don't think so either. This, this this movie though, it looks so cool and stylish, and I'm a sucker for uh, rainy neon lit uh, rundown motels. Like, dude, sign me up. Sign me the fuck up with this guy. Are you kidding? It, it yeah. looks. I am so happy he's doing something like this. Like, Cabin in the Woods was like a modern meta masterpiece of a movie. And the fact that that was his idea, and he he directed that, right? He did. Yeah. I mean, come on, like this. I'm so like, you know, of course, like The Martian is cool and everything, but that's more of a prestige thing. This is like kick-ass, fun genre thrills, um, all done on this like probably big budget with movie stars. I mean, come on, like hell yes, this is like one of the most anticipated movies of the fall. I mean, it's got to be, you know. And the fact that they have this is it's huge, 
huge. Last year was not as good. <laughs> as right. This one. Yeah. My hope is that one of my favorite scenes in Cabin in the Woods is when the reveal happens that all the monsters are on in those different cubes and that sense of like awesome that you feel. I feel like that might be <laughs> two hours of that. I hope. Yeah, dude. And surprises, you know, it's, oh, come on. It's that, and that's what's fun. You got to see this as an audience. You got to have the surprise. Yep. All right. So what else we got? We got uh, A24, probably one of our favorite, easily one of our favorite uh, movie distributors. They had really announced that, you know, Climax is going to be premiering at the festival. But we also have mid-90s, which Colts already talked about. And then we also have Under the Silver Lake, which is... I would say it looks like Paper Towns meets Inherent Vice. I think a lot of people <laughs> make that comparison. But if you see the trailer, it's pretty uncanny. But it's uh, what has me interested is it has David Robert Mitchell behind the camera, and he's the guy that directed It Follows, which is one of our favorite horror movies. And it has Andrew Garfield in it. And it just has a really stylish look to it. The hell is that? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Technical difficulty, but we're all good. Oh, good. You didn't. Ki- you just killed somebody there, and we we don't know it. Well, I, I there there would be laws. You, you don't want to get involved. This is the sequel to Searching. We we have the script right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. The whole movie through a podcast. Screen <laughs> <laughs> my baby. All right. So, um, you know, give, given all the stuff that's come out about Under the Silver Lake, it premiered at Cannes. A lot of people have said that it's pretty dull. It's like it's really <laughs> long. And so yeah. are uh, you still interested in seeing? No. <laughs> no. I mean, I, I say uh, uh, kind of, but I'm so skeptical at this point. This movie has just... I'm normally for, like, these divisive, long-winded exercises from a a director who, you know, is doing something ambitious. I'm all for that. Uh, There's, you know, to me, the idea of it, um, you know, it just, it seems cool, but I don't know if it's going to say anything. It's just going to be meandering, given the fact that that he went back and re-edited the movie. Right. You know, it wasn't at Toronto, uh, and so I was like, well, that's good reason for good reason. Then it got fantastic, which I'm pleasantly surprised because I am going to see this movie and I'm bitching about it. But um, I, I don't know. To me, it just seems a bit not so timely. I think that there should – to me, it's not as interesting of a story uh, to mine from, you know, given the fact of those two comparisons that you made. It seems a little pompous, um, I think, this movie. And I think that's rubbing people the wrong way. But – I'm all for style. Aesthetic to me is massive when it comes to movies, uh, given why I love genre filmmaking so much. Uh, so, you know, we'll see. It's here for a reason. Let's check it out. Um, I don't know. What, what do you think, Preston? I know that we've talked about this film a lot um, leading up to it because it's been such, such like long-winded and getting released. I am uh, definitely curious. Um, it, it tends to happen when somebody says oh, a movie that you're really anticipating because you like the filmmakers, you like the talent behind it. And somebody says, oh, it's this, and it's not, it doesn't live up to those expectations for it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and him going through all that trouble to cut it down and do whatever he does with it. Uh, I'm still curious to know if he could, he still like fashioned a interesting film out of it. It's not, it's just not as high on my radar because I remember when it was announced that he was doing a film and then I was like, Oh man, it got picked up by a 24 man. I trust them with everything that they do. Right. Um, but you know, as we've seen with, you know, a lot of stuff that they do for A24 does with uh, uh, TV. direct TV and that sort of thing. <laughs> it, it, and there's there's other films that, uh, I mean, it's a testament to, like, who, what kind of company they are. They just take chances yeah. on uh, with filmmakers and they just let them, you know, do whatever the hell they want to do. And, I mean, that goes to show with, like, American Honey, not a, a movie that I'm not huge on, but I know that you appreciate it, Cole. And so oh, yeah. it, it it seems like it has that kind of feel. So it's not that high on my radar. So, like, if it's, like, open at Fantastic Fest, um, I'll probably go check it out. But otherwise, you know, rather wait for, like, a screener or something like that. That's but, what I was going to say. <laughs> but, but, you know, this movie looks like it. you need to see it in a theater to pay attention yeah. to it. Yeah, especially with the so, Mitchell's visuals. Yeah, yeah, for right, sure. So, so, um, a film that we probably are excited about, especially after Brian and I have seen the movie Mandy with Nicolas Cage. Tomorrow, I can't wait. Oh, you? Oh, yeah. I read your review. I, 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 yeah. <laughs> sorry, I'm I'm getting us off uh, off the rails here, but. Holy shit, yeah. <laughs> so, I, there's this uh, movie called Between Worlds that's going to be playing at Fantastic Fest, and it's another crazy-looking Nicolas Cage film, and it <laughs> looks more like an accessible crazy Nicolas Cage film compared to Mandy, uh, just from the photos that they have up. There's no trailer as of yet, but there is one picture of Nicolas Cage, long-haired, like... Cameron Poe, Con Air, Long <laughs> Air, and he's got like a beer gut. His name is Joe, which is funny, and he apparently has uh, his 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 wife died, his daughter's dead, missing, and and involves like getting in contact with him through like oh or something like that, some kind of spiritual guy. But the the picture that's on Fantastic Fest's website, if you go and look up this film, Between Worlds, you see a picture of Nicolas Cage beating some stoner guy with a baseball bat. <laughs> and so I, I, I'm all for that. Uh, I enjoy when uh, Nicolas Cage goes crazy, but it has to happen in a movie where it's not, it's not where he's not killing kids. Or he's not yeah, killing kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not mom and dad either. I don't know. I never, I didn't see mom and dad, but um, yeah. The same, yeah. this one's on my radar. Yeah. So this got announced today, right? Because I yeah. just put it on my list as well. Hell yeah. So I don't, do we know, I don't know who directed it. Um, I didn't know if it was like, yeah, let me see if I can look it up. But, you know, I, I, I've been, down with this, you know, Nicolas Cage is like a one for three kind of guy, one for four kind of mm-hmm. hitter. Um, but, you know, I, I, if something catches my eye from him that he's doing, like I didn't see that movie 211 that he did this year, the cop movie, but I did, I am going to go see Mandy tomorrow night, and I did see Mom and Dad, 
and I've seen some other stuff. He had another movie this year apparently called Looking Glass. <laughs> okay, but so, um, yeah, I'm down for, for that. That's why you want to go see that, because it probably won't be released for another six months or something like that until it like, hits VOD in, like, March or some crap like that, you know? Right. Um, other things, we also have The Bouncer, John claude Van Damme film. Supposedly, it's he gives a very you know a dramatic <laughs> performance. Other stuff he's done, so that'll be pretty interesting. Oh come on! Come on. <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of know what to expect from it, but you know, sometimes as these uh, big action heroes from the '80s and '90s get older. Um, you know, it shows with uh, Sylvester Stallone. I thought he gave a very good performance in Creed, and and I've seen him do stuff where it's not so good, but over he, the top. <laughs> yeah, and so I, with the right filmmaker, it can be done. So yeah, I, the, the thing was okay, Preston. You and I have watched a lot of Van Damme movies in the past yes. several months, <laughs> like at least probably four or five of these. Um, there, I mean, he's fine. I mean, I love him. Don't get me wrong. Most recent one I watched was Death Warrant, but he, there's, I mean, JCVD's cool, but I just don't know. It's just so funny to me that they're like presenting this as like Van Damme gets real. And like, we're supposed to be like, right. and like the talking point is they want us to walk out of the movie being like, wow, he really acted. He can actually act. And so to me, going in with that mindset is funny. Um, yep. this is, I, I'm pretty sure this is on my must see list, or I'm going to really try to. Uh, so, I mean, why not? I mean, that's, that's the fun of it, you know? So I, I'm stoked. Uh, see, I don't really know anything about it other than the fact that it's a dramatic Van Damme. He's always, he's been trying some shit lately. So, I mean, fuck it. Let's go see it. <laughs> Brian, are you at all curious about any of these films? Oh shit. Yeah. You know, I'm a big Nick Cage fan. So between worlds looks amazing. Um, and JCVD, I, I can't get enough of him. I've seen just almost all of his movies and the bouncer, you know, like he did a really good job in his movie JCVD several years ago. So, you know, I'm going to go in with open arms uh, here and open roundhouse kicks. So you're going to Steve Perry it all the way to Van Damme. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> um, a movie that we brought up last week because uh, the trailer came out was the wind, not the and, happening. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The other happening. Uh, so it's it's going to be playing at Fantastic Fest. It played at TIFF. I know, Cole, you didn't catch it, but did it's not. one that I'm pretty curious to see. Um, but my goal is this year, there's a lot of, like, movies that stand out, like, you know, Bad Times at the El Royale, but there's a lot of other films that... I, I say this every year. It's, like, my goal to go see these films that are smaller, that don't because bad times are over out like i can I, it's okay if i miss that because it's going to come out next month a lot of these other films they might not come out for a whole year that sh you know that showed with raw and yep. that movie stuck with me for so long that i was still able to put it at my number one of the following year after it's been a whole year in, in some change and so the wind is one of them that has me pretty curious um, there's, there's another obvious one, like Terry Gilliam. He has his film, uh, is it, does anybody know how to pronounce this film? The Man yeah. Who Killed Don Quixote? Yeah, there you go. So, uh, that played at Cannes. It, 
a lot of stuff happened there between him and the studio and things like that. And Pretty didn't much know every if it was movie gonna... of his. Terry Gilliam yeah. has a very difficult time making movies. <laughs> but this is finally coming Go out. watch Brazil. Go watch the special right. features for Brazil. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I'm going to see that one, to be honest with you. I, uh, I mean, I, which seems kind of blasphemous, honestly. But to me, the same thing that's been like so long gestating, I'm just like, I don't care anymore. Like, I, you know, I, that's just kind of how I feel. And I'm kind of on to other things. Um, I mean, it's, it's really cool that it's going to be there. I mean, no doubt. Uh, and, you know, I may be whistling a different tune next weekend. But uh, for now, I'm kind of like, whatever. Yeah, you we know. just kind of put our ear to the ground and just kind of go. With, uh, yeah, I mean, but dude, yeah, there are those small ones like that Sean William Scott one you mentioned. Was that in Bloodline? Like that's going to be a cool one to check out. Or you know, there's the Swedish Oscar submission Border. I, I'm definitely going to see that shit. Or Burning. Oh man, there's this movie called Burning. Have you guys heard about that? It's like yeah. a Korean film. Yeah. I, I you know, I, I'm not. I don't have much sensibilities towards like Asian cinema at Fantastic Fest. But uh, this movie, I heard people talking about it out of TIFF, and it had Stephen Yun from The Walking Dead in it. And it's supposed to be a very cool, slick, mysterious uh, thriller. And uh, I am, like, I'm absolutely stoked to see this movie from some of the things I've heard. So, like, things like that. Like, I don't know if that's going to uh, come out. You know, some of these things, I don't want to see that in a screener link. I want to see it and give it my full attention. And doing those movies like that, especially, like, a Gaspar Noe film. Like, you want to see that shit on the big screen. You don't want to watch it on your iPad for the first time, you you have to, if you're, you know, a film fan, you got to give yourself up to it. And that's kind of the point of what we're doing at this festival. You know, even like hold the dark is going to be a movie that you're going to see on Netflix, but that's a Sonya film. That's a fantastic best favorite, you know, of ours. Uh, we got to see that show on the big screen, you know, <laughs> like, so I, I see, I pick, I think I'm picking up what you're putting down about uh, taking chances on those, on those movies, like the wind. Uh, Cause I, I don't really know much about it at all. I just know that you guys, um, we're, we're into that. And I honestly didn't even know it was a TIFF unless I just skimmed over it. But is it is it like a supernatural thing? Yeah, it's pretty much, uh, well, kind of echo what we said last week. It's it's almost like as if, um, uh, what's what's her name? Uh, the, one, the director who did Wendy and Lucy. Oh, uh, Kelly Riker? Yeah. It's as if she directed The Happening. And... Uh, put like a realistic spin on it, not trying to be, well, I don't know, maybe M. Not Shyamalan was actually trying to be serious with that film. <laughs> I don't know what is whole, it's a mystery to me, but it just seems like uh, the wind is doing some crazy shit to people, causing them to go crazy, not necessarily kill themselves, but um, give them extreme paranoia. And so it, it takes place in the 1800s. And so um, it focuses on, like, one family, I think. I'm not entirely sure. Didn't – I kind of, like, glanced at the trailer, and it, it had me interested. And so, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to check that one out. Another one that had me uh, interested just from – as I'm, like, thumbing through all these films, because, you know, when we get the, the email release, it's just, like, the text. And then – yep. I have to go on Fantastic Fest website, which, which has, like, pictures and uh, the full cast and a more elaborate entry as to what it's about. And you so get a visual. Film, what's that? You get a visual. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there's Werewolf, and I think Brian would really want to see this Oh, one. God. 
Um, so it's a post-Holocaust film about children hunted by wolf dogs. And, and so when I saw the, the, the title of the film, Werewolves, I'm like, oh, shit. So it's going to be a supernatural film. But, but if you look at the photos, they're actual, like, wolf dogs. Like, like think of the movie Wolfen. Like, they're just wolves. <laughs> so, um, Doesn't this sound too messed up for, for, for your sensibilities? Oh, guys? no. No, I can't wait. This is right up my alley. I, I, need, I think I need to see this, too. Yeah. Um, another one uh, is called You Might Be the Killer, and it's a <laughs> Friday the 13th slash, like, or I guess like a Friday the 13th and Scream mashup starring uh, Franz Kranz from Cabin in the Woods and Allison Hannigan. Um I'm really excited for this one because if you read the plot description, it's like, imagine like sleepaway camp or Friday the 13th where like, uh, people start getting killed. And instead of calling the cops, the, the guy that's, uh, in charge, uh, decides to call somebody who is really knowledgeable about slasher films. And that's where <laughs> Allison Hannigan's character comes into play. Oh yeah. So she's pretty much Jamie Kennedy from scream. And so it just seems like it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, it almost, I almost just went right past it, but I happened to catch it with the talent that was involved. And uh, yeah, that's going to be cool. And it has a, seems like it's going to be fun. Not, not like a final girl type, but oh, hopefully, yeah, yeah, hopefully like it has some more energy and a little more subtle with the not so desperate. But um, I, I think, it, I think it could be. Are you definitely going to try to see that one? Yeah, yeah, that's one that I really want to see. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. All right, well, that uh, brings us to the end of Fantastic Fest. If there's anything else that, I don't know, Brian, is there anything else on your radar that you want to mention before we move on? No, I'm just excited that the Tenacious D is going to be there. Yes. So I'm very excited. (laughs) Oh, yeah, the D. I can't wait. They're going to perform and show their movie, and I just, I'm, I'm very excited. Yeah, they're great. I got to see them once back in 2006, Denver, Colorado. Just got to play a tribute song. Of course. Yes. Yes. All right, so our, our next uh, big topic is The Predator. The Predator came, <laughs> is coming out this weekend. We're recording this on Thursday night, uh, probably go over on Friday. Um, so uh, trying to keep... It's again brief as possible um, <laughs> and spoiler free. Um, Br- <laughs> Brian, I, don't, I have no idea what you think of this film. Um, so I'm really curious to know what you think. So I really enjoyed the new Predator movie, simply titled The Predator. Um, and it's interesting to, to watch because I was real excited going into this because I love Shane Black, who directed it, and Fred Decker, who wrote it. And the cast seemed really cool, but it seemed like the studio really stepped in and made them delete quite a bit of stuff. So the movie kind of like jumps around and there's no reason why. And some characters do things and there's no reason or rhyme to them. Uh, But supposedly (laughs) there was a character uh, in the movie played by Edward James Olmos, but his whole character was cut completely out. And he was a vital character supposedly to the story and uh, like, uh, significantly cut the runtime down uh, due to cutting his character out. So when you watch this movie, like they, there's wasting, they don't waste any time 
you know, getting to the plot and the action. Um, but I will say the camaraderie between like Thomas Jane and Keegan Michael Key is downright hilarious. Keegan Michael Key tells amazing jokes. One joke that I had it was like laughing ten minutes after he told it. Uh, but I mean, it's, it's bloody, it's gory, it's action packed, but then there's just like very silly things to it, you know, such as Olivia Munn, probably one of the worst characters this year in a movie who plays a biologist, but also she can run with a gun, jump on moving, you know, vehicles and basically be like an elite soldier too, which they don't explain how she can do this. But only that she's because reasons, man. Yeah, reason. Because, because um, the, this movie weird relationship with geography, like because like there's something that's mailed, and it's like they just jump from locations, and you're like, wait, what? What are we doing? Hold on a second. Hold on. Yeah. Explain yeah. something, please. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'd imagine like the whole version of the movie might have explained it, but they didn't here. But still, it's yeah. super fun. Uh, yeah, it they is. they have a ton of. Like, kind of, like, good ideas in the film, kind of, you know, how they explain autistic people, like, the next evolutionary, like, link in the human existence, which is pretty cool. And, like, some of, like, the cool backgrounds of some of the modern predators. And, you know, they they do little winks and nods here and there to the previous films, like, very subtle, like, once maybe. Uh, And you get the old school score as well. But, like, so the final moments of the movie was a real, <laughs> real dick move because um, yeah. you're expecting somebody to pop out and it doesn't uh-huh. happen, but uh-huh. they totally allude to it completely. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh-huh. But it does set it up for at least two more movies and I'm excited for it, but... Uh, I don't yeah. know if they're going to happen, man. I don't know. We'll see how well this does. I bet you this movie's going to do well, and they'll do another one. But yeah, it, uh, it just oh. feels like people are just like really breaking this one under the coals. Pretty tough. No, it was fun. And I, the the main guy in the movie, what was his name? Preston. His Boyd name? Holbrook. Yeah, Boyd uh, Holbrook. Uh, McKenna. Yes. Yeah, so the original guy <laughs> they had for this role was Benicio del Toro, which would have been badass. Oh, shit. Yes, but he, uh, I think he went. To would have been like the hunter. Yeah, it would have been, yeah, it would have been awesome. Hunter. I love that movie, The Hunter. But he did the Last Jedi, and yes. So I think it would have been a better character. I mean, Holbrook does you know easy enough like stereotypical guy, but he's cool. You know, he's he's all right. He, the the last line of dialogue in this movie, I think, is just so fucking amazing. <laughs> it's so bad, but it I, it's just all time. Holy shit! Like I was just like. I, I've like jumped up, like, oh my god! Like at the very end, it was—it's so terrible, but I love it. Like I love it, and that to me is kind of this movie in a nutshell. Uh, I don't love the movie, but it's so terrible. But it's still a monster movie, and I can't help it. I like monster movies, and so there's things to to like about it. And it's 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 a movie that is going to be shit on so bad right now, but there will be people that like it. Um, there's going to be hopefully another like documentary or something behind the scenes in 10 years that we can get. So that would be badass to know, uh, the story behind this film and, um, the dark stuff, you know, as well. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a fun movie to watch. What can I say? I mean, watching it was like, what the fuck am I doing here watching it? (laughs) But like, what is this? But. 
you know, I, I got a soft spot. You know, what can I say? I'm not super familiar with the Predator franchise as a whole. Um, but uh, what the hell? I, I enjoyed it. So. This movie took place during Halloween, and there's a great Halloween sequence in it with a little autistic kid. Yeah, thinking the Predator mask is an actual Halloween mask. It was excellent. Yeah. There's, there's some lines of dialogue I would love to discuss. In this, and I don't think this is the time of the place for it, but damn. There's just like some what the hell is that line of dialogue doing in there that is so baffling. Uh, it makes it great. Like it's something. It's things that are not like the room, but also kind of like the room. <laughs> like where you're just like, oh my god. Um, There's also but, no consequences to when no. uh, characters kill people. Yeah. Uh, particularly, like they can just after yeah. all, said it, all is said and done, um, they're fine. You know, they can go home. <laughs> This isn't the summer of '84, fellas. This is the Predator. <laughs> yeah, right. There, there are no consequences in the Predator. But you know, look, man, it, it's just—it's it, a fascinating film to discuss. I mean, it really is. But yeah. it is what it is right now. It's—it's—it's it's, it's had an interesting story behind it, and I, I think you know it's going to be some good conversation pieces going forward for people like us who like this sort of stuff. So. You know, we could go. Do- we could go very, very deep into this movie, but uh, you yeah. know, we got to. You know, it's. I don't know. There's a lot. To the say. show must go on. So, yeah, so people should see it on that basis alone. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. All right, uh, shall we move on to my bloody recommendations, everyone? Oh yes, we, sh- we shall. All right, who wants to go first? Um, I guess Michael. Um, oh, hey. Yeah, or, uh, Cole, go first. Go first, Cole. Okay, I'll, I'm going to practice this name. So there's a movie called Revenge. Uh, it was really cool. It was at Fantastic Fest last year. I did not get to see it, but I did get to see it this May when it was released in theaters, even though it was a day-and-date release. Um, it is by a filmmaker. Her name is Coralie Far- Farjo. Uh, <laughs> I really try. Uh, to get that, but um, she made this really visceral movie, probably the most intense movie I've seen all year, hands down. Uh, it's a tale of revenge about a woman who uh, seems weak but becomes strong through this revenge, and it's beautiful to look at. It's uh, vivid, like a Nicholas Winding Refn film, but uh, brutal, you know, just really intense movie. Um, never a dull moment. I bring it up because it's on Shutter now to stream. I know we're physical media uh, friendly here, boys, but uh, Shutter uh, is doing the Lord's work over there, and they released this movie for people to see, and they should absolutely fucking go see it. Um, sit down and watch it. It is so intense, and I promise you, you will not be looking at your phone <laughs> during this movie. It's uh, it's pretty it's pretty awesome. It's it's something to see for sure. Um, but yeah, you can check it out for sure now. Free if you have Shutter. Very cool. Um... Actually, I've been really wanting to see this film. Uh, I saw the cover art at Movie Trading Co. And, and I've heard pretty good things about it, but I guess I can check it out on Shutter now. Yes, you can. Yeah, very cool. All right, uh, Brian, what you got? Okay, I've got a very strange, strange movie here for you guys. <laughs> um, of course. Um, the movie I speak of is called The Forbidden Room. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's crazy. Um, so Guy Madden may not be your favorite filmmaker, but he's one of those more memorable ones. Um, even the biggest film buffs out there might not know who he is or rarely give up his name uh, when discussing movies. But uh, 
his films fall into the very strange and unusual categories in horror uh, movies such as My Winnipeg, The Saddest Music in the World, and Keyhole. A very bizarre hypnotic horror type stuff, and Guy Madden is Canadian. But he makes movies not for the masses at all, but for himself, and he tends to like push his own artistry. Uh, to the like the deepest, darkest places, which brings us to the movie The Forbidden Room, which is kind of a challenge to describe to somebody who you're like, watch this, what's it about? Um, so it's kind of like a mixed bag of really crazy horror stories um, that kind of like do different subgenres uh, that never really form a cohesive narrative plot. Um, each like little vignette is stranger than the one before it. Uh, so the one story that the story that seems to be um, constant in the movie is a story about a submarine crew who are searching for their missing captain as their oxygen runs out, but they turn to eating flapjacks as they think the flapjacks contain air bubbles will further their life expend further their life expectancy. It's yes, true. Um, there's a how-to segment on how to take a bath. Vampire bananas. A guy who loves his pillow. Um, a man who's obsessed with uh, ladies' butts, and a guy who's on the run from skeletons who want to sell him insurance. I am not making this up. What? I, yeah, there's really no rhyme or reason to. I any. would love for you just to say all of that again and then <laughs> say it again. That was insane. Yeah, it's a pretty crazy movie. It's it's brilliant. It's fuck? way out weird, and the artistic Whoa. side of Guy Madden is just unbelievably cool. Um, yeah, it, the movie's two hours long. Nothing really, you know, like, again, forms, like, a very straightforward narrative plot, but uh, it's damn good. It's on Blu-ray. It's fantastic video audio. There's audio commentaries with the directors. There's uh, there, there's a, an interesting short film that's called Once a Chicken. <laughs> It's damn Jesus. good. Yeah, no, it's... Um, Jesus ain't got nothing to do with this. Yeah, I my, I really think that, like, this movie would have been something that Alec DeLarge, Alex DeLarge from A Clockwork Orange would have loved to watch with his <laughs> fellow gang members, his droobs. But, yeah, no, you won't be disappointed in this movie. Look it up, The Forbidden Room. It's damn good. Is it, like, a vicious... Is it a vicious movie? No, well, there, there's like parts of it that could be vicious, but it's more like in a, like a horror silly, and you're just like, what did I just fucking watch? I and, have so many questions about this guy. It says he was a bank manager. Yeah, no, there like Udo Kier is in it, <laughs> and we all know who that is. Uh, yeah, it's, we all do. So yeah, uh, please. Oh my god, try to find it uh, and check it <laughs> I out. Have so many questions. You can't do this to me. <laughs> I think Cole's gonna watch this movie and he's gonna call call us or text us like what the hell? <laughs> Holy shit! I, okay, oh, okay. Just sorry. This is I'm, my mind is kind of like <laughs> kind of blown by this guy and how many films he has and how classical they look. And but it's like 2006. I, it's just weird. Sorry. This I. Very yeah, cool. his movies look like they were made a long time ago, but they were all kind of made very recently. <laughs> Brian, you've opened up a portal in my life that I don't know can never be closed. So I'm very happy, and I want to watch all of them with you. God. Okay, okay. Holy shit. 
All right, well, I'll follow that. Stop that. (laughs) (laughs) And to Preston. Yeah. So you always go crazy, and I go very normal. Um, So a couple of, about a week ago or so, I was going in. uh, You guys will both know what this is because I've sent you a picture of it. But I was at a antique store in my hometown, and I like to go through the library there of uh, films, whether they're DVD, VHS, Blu-ray, because you never know what you might find there. But I like to look through the VHSs because every once in a while you might find a really cool old one, and they're pretty cheap. And so I'm a huge collector of horror films on VHS, um, mainly because they they have that that art, that cover art that's something that Scream Factory and Arrow Video, they all like try try to replicate. There's just like a nice like hand drawing and they got stickers like Be Kind, Rewind, Horror, Three Day Rental, whatever it is. And um, the one that I'm picking this week is a documentary that came out in 1991. It's an hour long special uh, that focuses entirely on the science of horror, like what like what makes us scared? Why do we enjoy watching horror films? And how the genre has evolved since its inception until now, or I guess in this case until 1991. But <laughs> it's called Fear in the Dark. And it captured my eye because on the cover of this VHS copy that I have, and by the way, I do have a VHS player. But I live, uh, my house is in a different town. It's an hour away, and I didn't didn't have access to it. But thank God for YouTube, because you can watch this film on there if you're curious. And so it's got, it features interviews with, like, John Carpenter, Wes Craven, Clive Barker, William Friedkin. And it's narrated by Christopher Lee. And it opens with, it opens with John Carpenter, uh, talking about like why he started making horror films and why he's fascinated by them. And he go, and then later you got like all these, uh, science people coming in and talking about like, um, how there's, there's nothing quite like fear. And we like to, we're addicted to that sense of thrill of watching a theater because we're, we're safe in that and that's what all these filmmakers like to do is make movies about times when we're most vulnerable. For instance, Halloween, the original Halloween. You know, it's 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 a, a babysitter who's attacked at a home, and so that idea is scary. Or people having sex, or just whatever they're doing, they're just completely caught off guard. And the movie does a really good job of kind of inserting clips from films that you know, whether it's Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Exorcist, uh, they do Halloween naturally, and they have uh, Hellraiser, uh, all all sorts of films, and uh, Nosferatu, and they go later on in the film, they start exploring like concept art, visual effects, and uh, special effects and how they've evolved since 
uh, horror came around uh, until now and the sorts of things that they're doing in um, around 1991 because uh, they end with uh, Silence of the Lambs. They focus a lot on that film toward the end because that's one of the all-time great horror films, I would say. And um, there's a line in the movie uh, that I really liked that John Carpenter said, and it kind of captures a lot of the, uh, or at least a feeling that I've had, especially after watching Nicolas Cage in the movie Mandy. But uh, John Carpenter says that there's a line in movies that audiences are frightened you're going to, you're going to cross that you're going to show them something that they can't stand. And they're fearful of that because they want to see something that they don't want to see something that's going to make them hurt badly. They want to, they don't, they want to, they don't want to leave angry. And because because it's like natural that they want to defend themselves from, from what they see. And so you always have to play that line very carefully. And so I thought that was really interesting because um, after, you know, doing this podcast, I'm watching movies that I like and watching a lot of movies I don't like. So it's just been really cool to kind of see, like, how my taste in horror film has evolved over time. And, and I can see, like, oh, do I like the hardcore stuff? Do I like stuff that's really out there? And it's just been really interesting. And Mandy's one of those movies where it really tests my limitations. And I can know, and it's like, oh, well, I don't want to go in that direction. I don't really like that kind of film, but uh, I can appreciate it. And so this mm. is a, th- this movie is just like a love letter to horror. And it's, like I said, it's available on YouTube, so you can watch it. Really what, good insight. What's it called again? Fear in the Dark. Fear in the dark. Okay, I'm going to watch that right when we're done. That sounds awesome. Because I was kind of freaked out while you were explaining that. Because uh, I was thinking about Halloween. Because I watched two Halloween movies recently. <laughs> Three, I guess. Um, yeah. And um, I was, like, looking over my shoulder. I was, just, like, kind of freaked out. And, it, you know, Michael Myers is scary. <laughs> like, I didn't yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, it just explores the fascination with horror films. What makes them work? What makes them not work? The genre highlights. The the great influencers and how the genre, how it's a genre that constantly evolves. So yeah, just an hour long, really just, and, but you get it like all, it's pretty all encompassing. Like it, it hits like all the beats that you would want to. And um, it has all the filmmakers that you would want to hear from. Even Dario Argento is, uh, oh, Lord. They, they use like subtitles, but um, he uh, speaks on the kind of films that he makes. And so, um, yeah, it's just a really nice uh, find. Oh yeah, so, that's yeah. really cool. Oh, wow. I, I think there was a gremlin in my house, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I think like some sort of like noise. I'm all freaked out for some reason. Okay, let's talk about this super scary movie. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> all right, this brings us to our main feature, <sighs> which is Halloween Four: The Return of Michael Myers. Came out in 1988. And uh, it's directed by Dwight H. Little. Uh, he uh, directed the movie Rapid Fire, which actually I just got recently through Twilight Time, and it has Brandon Lee in it. <laughs> and he also oh, yeah, directed Free Willy 2, which I watched the shit out of when I was a kid. Really? Yeah. 
Free Willy too. That's the adventure home, right? <laughs> yep. Yeah, but that kid oh, from wow. um, is he in Spawn? I can't remember. Oh, oh, uh, Jason James Richter from <laughs> the Free Willy movies. Yeah, well, that kid. But but there's a there's another kid that's in it. That's like uh, I think his name is like Elvis or something. In the oh, right. Yeah, yeah. He's on Veronica Mars. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and uh, Shazam with uh, yeah, Shazam. Yeah. That's uh, Shazam. And it's uh, written by Alan B. McElroy. Uh, he wrote Spawn and uh, Wrong Turn. And uh, so I did a shit ton of research uh, for this film. I there's a great documentary on Halloween four, five, and six. A little bit of six, but it kind of focuses on the whole Jamie arc of um, these uh, three films. And and then I watched like an Inside Story special. I listened to the. I watched this movie twice. I watched it with the commentary, and just um really good stories out of how they made this and uh we could spend here all day talking about it uh, but i just recommend checking those out um you can buy the scream factory uh edition of halloween 4 be really kind of hard to hunt down uh the copy that i found which is like in the that big collection that brian has where it has like each film has its own disc, but you can go to like Walmart or something and get Halloween. It has like a 10, 10 uh, disc collection. I don't know if it's on that or not, but um, that's what I have. But it's on YouTube as well because I was looking up Halloween for stuff as well. And that documentary is like an hour and a half long, and you see Danielle Harris in there and yeah. uh, on the thumbnail of it. And it says how, documentary on Halloween 4, 5, and 6, and it's an hour and a half yep. long. And those kind of things are amazing. They're so cool. Yeah. So, yeah, apparently um, the writer, uh, Alan B. McElroy, he wrote this script in 11 days. Yeah. It was right before uh, the writer's strike happened. And, and to kind of preface this, um, you know, Season of the Witch, which we've also talked about on the podcast before, you know, they tried to make a turn Halloween into something where it could be like a anthology series and they can just turn um it can be something new each time but everybody wanted michael back and you know but ever since then season which has kind of got a cult following and people appreciate it more i'm not one of them but um, <laughs> enough about but that <laughs> I, but i love uh halloween 4 i would uh i would argue it's probably the best sequel or until i guess i see the the new halloween um after the original, because I feel as though there's, it's a weird film that it has a lot of consistencies. Like it t- acknowledges like Halloween two, And there's mm-hmm. like other things where it, it just kind of throws it out the door and seems to want to pay tribute more to the first one. And so it's, it's a bit of a messy film, but I feel as though they do a pretty good job of making its own little animal and it still happens to be a quality film. And so it stars, uh, Donald Pleasance comes back as Dr. Loomis. Some, I guess he just miraculously survived after the explosion. Well, he's, got he's got yeah, scars. You know, yeah, he's got scars now. Yeah. Same thing stars, with, uh, cool. same thing with, uh, did Michael you, Myers. He did you hear like, 
like when they were making this movie, <laughs> like like if you watch it closely, like <laughs> make this is like one of my favorite horror movies oh, ever. And I got yeah, and he had his makeup like changes, and so like they messed with his uh, scars like throughout the movie. Um, and if you watch it multiple times, <laughs> you'll you'll notice that inconsistency. It's like really funny that they said his girlfriend like changed the makeup uh, and they had to go back and reshoot a shit ton of scenes because of it. <laughs> and uh, it like really fucked up their production. <laughs> it sounds like it's funny. Yeah. But this, like, this, like, this, it does. Like you saying that because I didn't really think about that being it, it is messy but it works because it does kind of because they do a lot of stuff in the house and whatnot in a house and then they also do stuff in a truck and in open air and like it is like you know like more open. yeah it's refreshing in a lot of ways they it's almost yeah, like it's it turning into an action film at times yeah it's cool it's it's a cool movie but before i don't know if we've explained the plot of what's going on in halloween 4 and the different timelines that they adopt uh after these movies and how they yeah. like they drop a lot of ideas in it, so I'd like to get into them before I splinter off into like something else that goes into a sidebar, <laughs> as we call them. Right, right. All right. So the the plot it's ten years after the original the original film, I guess uh, Michael's original massacre. Um, so Michael Myers awakens and returns to Haddonfield to kill his seven year old niece <laughs> on Halloween. And Dr. Loomis is there, and will people believe him this time, or will he just be another crazy guy? <laughs> I love crazy Loomis. I love it. I love it. It's the best. I mean, but how does Michael know where Jamie is? He's apparently comatose, but psych, he's not. He overhears the people yeah. saying where where, where Jamie is, and he oh, automatically he knows, knows that that's Lori's daughter, right, essentially? Yeah. Okay, yep. but that's ignored later. Is that it, like in like H two O and all that? Is, doesn't that yeah, all they get wreck, ignored? They retcon things all over the place. They, yeah, they retcon the shit out of it, <laughs> as as they say. Um, but but it, it, some of these ideas are crazy because it is the Michael Myers movie, but it also does some of the what they do in the New Blood, the Friday the Thirteenth movie with the telepathy kind of shit. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like the the mind control. Kind of stuff, yeah. and do y'all think that that works? Because Danielle Harris is fucking amazing uh, in this movie, but do you think the stuff that they do with her works, or does that matter? Because we just want to see Michael Myers. Uh, I certainly have opinion. Do you have anything you want to start with, Brian? About with with Danielle Harris in there? Yeah. No, I think that the whole storyline with with her and kind of what the movie tries to get at even towards the end is that this thing, this, this, whatever's causing Mike Myers to be Mike Myers can kind of transfer to somebody else. And that's pretty terrifying, even, you know, into a little kid, you know, it's kind of like we saw in the exorcist where you see like a very nice, innocent, fun young girl, just totally transform into something horrific. I think that's what they did here. And I really like that. Yeah, um, so I guess we'll just, you know, spoil the film at the top. Of um, course. It's one of the, the great shocking endings, but at the same time, it's not that shocking considering that there's, like, little 
breadcrumbs sprinkled throughout the film that kind of lead up to this moment. Uh, There's, of course, uh, probably my favorite scene in the entire film is uh, pretty much the opening of the film outside of, you know, like they don't have a score at the very beginning. They're just showing shots of like decorations around town. But mm-hmm. uh, there's, there's one scene in the film where they show Jamie um, having a nightmare essentially. And, you know, there's like moments throughout this franchise or like any horror franchise where they could be effective for their time. But I feel like this is one that just kind of transcends it and it could happen in any decade and still be just as effective. And I feel like this scene kind of captures the spirit of Halloween very well. And it's, uh, it's one of the more, probably the most frightening scene in the entire film. And it's right at the top of her having this nightmare of Michael grabbing her from underneath the bed, which is like the scariest thing for any child to imagine, especially after seeing movies like poltergeist or something like that. And he raises up and then proceeds to chase her. She opens the door to get out of her room. And then there's Michael Myers again coming towards her. And it's such a scary moment. But I feel like, like I said, it just really captures uh, the spirit of the entire franchise. And I really enjoy, like, what they do with... Jamie going forward, uh, you know, when she's picking out her her costume, which is made to look like what Michael Myers is wearing in the first film when he uh, kills, uh, does he kill his mom? I can't remember. Or his dad. He kills Judith. Judith? Judith, yeah. Um, so there, there's that. So there's like these little uh, little things going on throughout the film that kind of lead up to the moment of when Michael Myers is out of the picture, he's shot, and his soul essentially transfers over to the next person that's in the bloodline, which is Jamie. And so what's what's what makes this movie so great to me is to kind of treat it on its own, like it's its own film um, because, you know, they kind of like, they pull like an alien three with the fifth one and they kind of destroy all the potential of what could go forward from there. But just the possibilities as to what could happen with the franchise going forward. And, you know, if I was to go back in time and just like watch it for the first time in 1988, especially since they kind of do the same thing that the fourth uh, Freddie or Freddie, uh, Friday the 13th did where you get kind of a hint that uh, Corey Feldman in that film might inherit the spirit of Jason and might be the next person to kind of kill from there. But they retcon that. And, you know, in the, the fifth one, he's uh, a quiet kind of crazy guy. And then the next film, he's like a lovable, charming dude. And, uh, and so I, I was just always fascinated as a kid when I watched this film for the first time, like just the possibilities as to where they could go with, with her from there. And so I always enjoyed what, what they did with her character. And is there anything that anybody wants to add? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I think that's, that's pretty, 
pretty well, you know, pretty well said, you know, because the movie does that and then it tries to splinter off into doing stuff with just like a teenage romance starring uh, Sa- Sasha Jensen from Days and Confused. It's Grady, the yeah. philandering boyfriend of Rachel, um, Jamie's foster sister, who is a real asshole to Jamie at the beginning of the movie, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, she wants to go get laid, I think, from from Grady, but he starts sleeping. Oh, around. Rachel. Yeah. Yeah. But she's like sleeping around. He's sleeping around with the police chief's daughter, uh, and she comes out wearing a shirt that says uh, "Cops do it better" or something like that, <laughs> like some weird like thing about like police. And so the movie detracts from that to do your more typical flasher stuff, which. You know, to, which leads to, I think, one of the most memorable kills in the movie. My, probably my favorite. Uh, it's, like, so ridiculous. Shotgun. Yeah, the shotgun. Yeah, it's amazing. I love it so much. And, uh, it, you know, it, it all leads to something still. You know, it, le- it led to a big climactic moment. I think it works. You yeah, know? I agree. It, I agree with that. It, to- it totally works. You know, the kills further the story. You know, Grady's dead. He was a, he was a character in the movie. He He was a little more than just, you know, your typical, you know, thing. There's a story there to follow, and it, it's, it's petty, for sure. But it's a stupid story, but nonetheless leads to some thrills, and that's what you want from, from this movie. And the sequel does it better than any of the other sequels that have come out um, in this 10-disc box set um, that I have here. Um, you know, it's, a, it's one of the best horror sequels, like, for sure. Uh, and it's just a bummer that some of these ideas just get shit on and they just get dropped because you get like so pumped and then you just go in a completely different direction that becomes less and less interesting. Um, but, um, you know, these properties, they pass around them a lot. And yeah, know, they kind that's of probably what like, happens. like star Wars, what they do today, like one person does, does a film and then they kind of yeah. hand it off. And, uh, there's no, there's no, producer really there since after the third one uh john carpenter just kind of in deborah hill they gave it over and uh so people could just kind of do what they want with it and i feel like these filmmakers for the fourth one tried to capture that spirit of what john carpenter was trying to do especially with dr loomis i feel like at this point with dr loomis like he is a fully realized character and is at where he would, where uh, John Carpenter was trying to get to, um, because at this point, you know, he fully knows what what My- Michael Myers is completely capable of. You know, in the first one, he talks about like he's just so uh, confused as to like how Michael is doing these things when he's uh, you know seen him ever since he was a boy. Um, just staring at the wall or whatever it is and just wouldn't think that he'd be capable of something like this, but he knows the complete horror and evil that he's capable of. And it's, it's funny that even like the town is beginning to know, like they don't even say his name, but somehow they, they sell uh, masks inside. That's funny you bring that up. I read I read that the uh, original idea for this movie is that they that they essentially uh, like banned Halloween in Haddonfield, and yeah. so 
They yeah. They wouldn't like talk he's not about supposed to be in the the first half of the film at all. It's all right. about like he's there, but he's not there, and you can feel his evil presence around. And yeah, they they make a point to kind of like they don't sell those masks at all in the store. And that sort of yeah. thing. Um, there's, you can actually look up the original scripts online and read it. And there's a lot of really cool ideas in it. I read it myself, and it, it feels very much like a first draft of a, of a uh, screenplay. But if they would have just hammered it out a little bit more, it could have been a really cool film. But I still like this one uh, a lot. Um, but there are a lot of issues with it, I know we've already hinted at some of the inconsistency. There's a pretty big one with uh, Michael Myers's mask. Uh, when they <laughs> <laughs> when they made this uh, film, somehow the makeup artist um, when he made the mask, they took it from like the original William Shatner face, and somehow the the skin tone turned out pink and the hair turned out blonde, <laughs> and uh, to do a quick fix, they made the skin white and it's like super white and jet black hair. And so there's <laughs> nothing really scary about him and his mask in this film. You know, like you look at pictures of the trailer for the new film and it looks pretty worn and it has more of a, a scary aesthetic. And there's, um, what what I think of what made this film a lot more scary, because uh, I think he's he is his scariest at the beginning of the film when he's covered up like Dark Man with all the bandages, and when he's like attacking guys that are in the the, the like, truck. Yeah, um, it's pretty freaky. Like, there's even like probably one of the coolest in the entire film is when Doctor Loomis goes to you know get gas uh at the like, oh yeah and then he's like staring down the the hallway of this gas station and he sees michael at the end of it and he's just this very tall presence doesn't have his mask yet but he has all these bandages and that's a really scary shot but but then he gets his mask later on at, at a store we can only assume you know they kind of <laughs> play they with sell, that. they sell the mask there it's just so weird that they sell the mask at a yeah. store where there was like a massacre, you know, yeah, in like a town. You'd almost think that he'd be like, oh, what's, I guess there's just something appealing about that mask to him. He didn't want to upgrade it all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess so. Like, don't you love like hopeless Donald Pleasance in these movies? Like, Dr. Loomis at his like lowest point. <laughs> like, he gets so low down and out in these movies. And, and uh, Donald Pleasant does it so well, and he just gives it everything. Like, yeah. even as he gets up there in age in these movies. Like, I think he's up in still the sixth one, I think he's in. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like, it, it's great, and he sells it so well. And he's horrifying, and you feel bad for this, like, sad old man, you know, who's just so haunted by the shit, you know. And it really yeah. gives a good through line to the movies. It really, he, does, he gives a great through line to these yeah. movies. Yeah. What's what's pretty cool is there's a moment in the film where um, when they find out how my, Michael escaped from uh, the asylum, they were transferring him, and he overhears that Jamie is his, he has a niece out there, and so at that point he needs to destroy his bloodline for some reason, and 
he uh, proceeds tries to go find her, but it kills the people that are inside the ambulance transferring him, and uh, they they crash land into a a river, and uh, he gets away, and then Doctor Loomis comes there and inspects it, and then realizes that all right, so he's definitely going back to Haddonfield. And so his mission is to get to Haddonfield. And um, so he gets to the gas station and discovers that he's there. Michael, again, gets away, uh, just hops in a truck and just blows through the garage and then manages to blow up the gas station and destroy the, the, power, uh, the telephone wires so Dr. Loomis can't make any calls. And so he hitchhikes his way to Haddonfield and uh, some like douchebag uh, high school kids like slow down to pick him up and then they peel out, leave him to dust. And out of the dust is this reverend character. And so the reverend character is played by the guy that's in uh, Wedding Singer. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a country song. Yeah. <laughs> um, and does the moonwalk and everything. Uh, <laughs> so he plays this crazy reverend guy. And it's a really nice scene. And I've listened to other uh, you know, podcasts and documentaries that, that, that pointed this out, that it's a really nice moment because it's, it's Dr. Loomis realizing like what other people may think of him because a lot of people think that he's this crazy guy saying like oh michael's coming you got to get out of here and then everybody's just like i I don't know what the hell you're talking about but uh so we get a little bit of a taste of that by this crazy preacher and uh it's a really nice scene i like that scene absolutely yeah no definitely i mean you know, with the like the character work in this movie is is really fun uh, yeah. with, with stuff like that. And with, with certain characters, uh, not not all of it works. Well, no, like you, some some stuff with uh, Sasha as uh, Brady well, doesn't work. Yeah, you don't want to spend you don't want to spend a ton of time with him. <laughs> you know, he's not a very desirable <laughs> character. Do you think he redeems himself at the end? No, not really. I mean, he tries. I don't know why he felt like he needed to take on that mantle and wear that like albatross around his neck that he thought he had to, you know, fight Michael. Why he? Maybe he's trying to, you know, maybe. He I mean, was. it's a cool moment on its own because everybody I mean, seems to kind of run from him, and he's actually trying to at least fight him. Yeah, I mean, he just messes with a shotgun, which seems kind of illogical. It's kind of a simple piece of machinery, <laughs> so yeah. and he just can't get those shells like. Uh, jammed in there, and but he goes after him, you know, with with the butt of the shotgun, and you know what? What I think I think he's actually killed off screen technically, and that's like that is annoying in this movie. Like I think there's like total of like half of the kill. There's like ten confirmed kills on screen, and then there's like a whole another like nine or ten off screen, and I don't understand why that they censor those so much because like they it was just kill they they cut away. Yeah, it was just the time, you know. Like we, I even thought that when I was watching the, the "It's Alive" trilogy, when you know they kill somebody in the in the back of the meat wagon with uh, the the milk oh, yeah, cart sure. guy, and so they mm-hmm. show milk coming out instead of blood. 
Um, it just seems like they were just being censored pretty big time back then. And so the, probably the most violent scene that they show is the, uh, the girl getting killed with the shotgun. And it doesn't even really show the blood of it. It just shows just the, the action of it and the, the vi- like the sounds. Like, and, and that's what you hear when Brady dies, or you assume that he dies, is he gets his head crushed by uh, Michael Holden. Yeah, you hear the noises. Another good one that's pretty uh, awesome is um, what's funny is like the, there's, a couple, there's a couple of sequences in it. So the first one when he escapes, and, uh, you know, he says to the guys, um, or he's like the, the driver of the truck, he like grabs him by his neck. And he, I think it's that scene, but he grabs and he rips the guy's like jawbone. Like he rips the skin yeah. up from his like coral artery or something or whatever that is. And between your neck and your jaw, he rips that off. He like does that <laughs> to one guy. Um, and, you know, I, I do like that one a lot. And then there's a scene towards the end when Michael Myers gets in the back of the truck with the rednecks. <laughs> the lynch mob. Yeah, the lynch mob. And um, he's, like, throwing them off one by one. And there's, like, there's like one guy who just has his back turned the whole time with Michael Myers. Yeah, yeah. It reminded me of that. Uh, I don't know if you watched that entire uh, Mr. Plinkett uh, review. I of, did. Uh, the yeah. Last Jedi. But you know, like when he's talking about the, the the really awesome scene in the movie with the red guards when they're they're all taking um, them on, and uh, there's like some guards that are just waiting for their cue, and that just seems to what what yeah. what happens here. Like, it's not it's not realistic, um, you know, because naturally all these guys would probably hear that there's a commotion going on in the back, and they would all take them on at once, but. Uh, some just seem to be completely oblivious to the, of his presence. Yeah, I know, and it's uh, it's hilarious, and that's exactly what made me think of that too. When I saw that scene, I thought about that Plinkett review, and I was like, oh, I'm going to watch for that. And sure enough, I was like, well, why wouldn't they all just? Yeah, and that's a you know that's what like hundreds of movies have that problem, and so you know, it's a movie, but in this, it's like so obvious. <laughs> You know, it's way more obvious than in Star Wars. Um, and right. it, so, I mean, it, it's just part of it. I mean, it's a fault, but I can roll with it for sure. Yeah. Uh, Brian, is there anything that you'd like to add? Um, I would like to say that out of all the kills um, that Michael Myers does, I love the thumb to the forehead, which is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. and it's just hardcore. And I like when the shotgun goes through the lady, that was also awesome. Uh, yeah, I think, I think the kills, uh, Mike Myers does and Halloween four are definitely inventive and quite good, but yeah, I just like the whole aspect of Halloween four being about this little kid and, um, like, how the evil goes back and forth or who can pass to somebody else. And I think that's terrifying. And I think they, I think they did a good job with this, you know, with, you know, all due respect to, you know, some of the bad things in the movie, but I enjoyed this. I think it was up until Paul Rudd shows up, you know, a couple of films (laughs) down the line. Part. Yeah. Part six. Yeah. Little uh, Tommy Doyle. 
the yes. kid that she babysat. I think that's who he was playing or something like that. Yeah, and like, you know, the, the redneck scene in the truck where, you know, that scene just reminds me completely of Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2 when Leatherface is, you yes. know, driving the moving car. But I just think that's uh-huh. kind of cool to see Mike Myers on like a fast moving car just taking people out. And I thought that was just oh. kind of really cool. So, yeah, I like it. I'm in. It's a moody movie for sure. It like has a mood to it, it has a dark vibe mm-hmm. through the whole thing, but still a, a lot of fun to yeah. watch. Yeah, and and even though that Mike Michael Myers doesn't have like the the creepy mask that he may have in other films, he has a scary presence uh, in certain shots. Like there's a one particular shot when like one of the police officers is waiting with a shotgun on a rocking chair. And then you kind of just see him flash real quick in the background. Oh yeah. And then there's other scenes where they do that too. Uh, and so, well, they do, they do another one where that, that particular, um, police officer is gets his head ripped off and they go they show that they show the head like three times to be like a jump scare uh, that's a good reveal though when he comes up out yeah. of the rocking chair uh-huh yeah yeah the first one yeah the first one the first one yeah but i mean that that is cool stuff i mean I, that, this one just had so many Really just memorable moments. I'm not sure the fifth one lives up to that at all. It's a more polished movie, but... Yeah, it was the uh, first one that went to rough. TV, or uh, video, straight to video. Uh, it, it went straight to video? Yep. Did part six go straight to video? No. Wow, so only part five went straight to video. That's crazy. I had no clue. Yeah, um, they in the documentary that I watched where they do four, five, and six... Um, Danielle Harris talks about how, uh, you know, fans seem to appreciate the fourth one the most, uh, and they recognize her the most from that, even though she's, she gives a really good performance in five is the best part of five along with, uh, uh, Dr. Loomis. And so I, I enjoy like, except Dr. Loomis is a little more cranky in that one, understandably. <laughs> yeah. So just because, um, as you see how the fourth one with, Fourth one ends with him shouting, no, 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 um, four or five. Yeah. Great um, ending. Yeah. But what's even more interesting is, uh, the possibilities of her, you know, they could go back and kind of fix what they did with five with six. And when they, uh, they put out a casting call for, uh, somebody to play Jamie, but they wanted somebody that was 18, and so they used a headshot of Daniel Harris, um, but they, they put made it like a black-and-white photo and just kind of made it look a little more posterized so, like, you wouldn't be able to completely tell that it's her. And Daniel Harris's agent found this and then uh, presented it to Daniel Harris, and then she... She's she's like, why can't I do this? I'm I'm 17, but I I can totally do this. I don't know why they would have, uh, they didn't contact me for it. And so she got in touch with the producers, and they were interested. And and she said, well, uh, I can go to a court and prove that I'm, uh, you know, I'm adult, and uh, I take care of myself. So because you know, when you're underage, you have you have a certain hours that you can't that you can work and you can't go out after dark that sort of thing and 
so that they had more freedom to work with her. And so she went through all that trouble, spent thousands of dollars. And at the end of it, the producers cut her character down a lot. And if you've seen Halloween Resurrection, she's killed off really early on, not even played by the same actress because um, Danielle had an exchange with one of the producers and she said, and they said that, you know, we don't give a shit that you were in Halloween four or five. And she was only going to get like an $800 check and she was just passed on. Oh, shit. Don't blame her one bit. And so Danielle's uh, friend played um, Jamie. Jamie. And so and five does that, too, with Rachel's character. They kill her yep. off. And in that documentary, uh, the actress that plays um, Rachel, she she says that, you know, I was glad to be a part of this franchise, but I, I never liked what they did with my character. I always felt that, you know, went through all that trouble in the fourth one, all that terror, all that horror. And I just did not believe that she would die so easily. Right. So early I, I, I completely agree. That totally sucks about the film. It's so disappointing. And just such, I mean, they do that in, you know, the fourth Freddy Krueger movie as well. Yeah. Know? And it's so agitating, you know? Yeah. So that, that could be people who are just, you know, just hired, not even remotely interested in, uh, Continuity. The, yeah, the the connections between from film to film, but every once in a while you'll have somebody like the filmmakers of the fourth one that at least uh, give a really good try, and it still ends up being a, super, a pretty solid film. Yeah, absolutely, freaking absolutely, super solid. So, uh, is there anything else that anybody wants to add before uh, we conclude? I think that's it. I, I think. Oh, I think that's it. Yep. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Well, that will conclude the 21st episode of My Bloody Podcast. We're staying all night, out all night for number 21. Heck yes. <laughs> yeah, two hours long. Oh, um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm uh, Preston Barda. You can find me at the Ditton Rec Chronicle, DittonRC.com, where you can find my weekly theatrical reviews, Blu ray reviews. Uh, interviews and then you know next week we will all be at fantastic fest so i'll have my coverage there and you can find me at preston barta b-a-r-t-a on twitter i will throw it over to cole and he'll tell you where you can find him (laughs) uh i've been tweeting lately which has been uh, a nice change of pace uh, because i was at tiff uh, a bunch of my reviews from tiff Uh, i got a bunch more coming out uh, throughout the course of the week or at freshfiction.tv and uh, that's it for now. Sweet, sweet deal. I know this was a this was a good podcast. Um, it was meaty, weighty, lot very, and lot of shit. Very meaty. Yes, my bloody podcast on iTunes and Stitcher Radio, and various other platforms. Um, yeah, we love you. And what what do we have next week, Preston? Um, I uh, I have one in mind. Um, you can. Totally say no. I've watched a lot of really good horror movies lately. Um, 
So I may save one as my recommendation just because I had a good time watching it. But um, the one that I would love to focus on, if you don't mind, Brian, is Phantasm 3. Oh, yes. I got that Blu-ray in the mail. And yes, definitely. Yeah, I... uh, yeah, I had a really good time with that one, so I would love to uh, break that one down even further. Let's do it. Um, yeah, thanks, Cole. Thanks, Preston. This was a great yeah, first episode. Uh, we'll hope to be back uh, next week because we'll be at Fantastic Fest, so we'll probably have all sorts of episodes for you there. So in that case, should we hold off on on that and just completely focus on the festival? Yeah, we might do that. Just, you know, we might we might be doing several episodes out there. Who knows? Yeah, so. yeah. Maybe like one every day that we're there or something. Yeah, um, yeah so, yeah, hold off on Phantasm 3, but I want to do that one that at some good. point. Well, thanks again for listening to my bloody podcast, iTunes Stitcher Radio. Please click that subscribe button. And we love you, and let's hope Cole finds the gremlin in his place. Yes. <laughs> I found it. <laughs>